0: Hello and welcome to Associated, the podcast making venture capital more accessible. In this episode, we're going to talk about how Emma got her role at the FairBuy Design Fund, her insights on impact investing, and her hottest tips on events for early stage investors. I'm your host, Lois, and I'm joined by Francesca today. Hi, Lois. Hello. And this week, we're joined by Emma, who is the investment manager for FairBuy Design at Ascension Ventures. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I thought we'd kick off with Emma telling us a little bit about Ascension
1: and FairBuy Design.
2: Yeah, so Ascension has done yearly EIS and SEIS um, funds for a few years now. It was focused on digital media traditionally, but now it's kind of quite a diversified portfolio. Um, And a few years ago, they bid for uh, this fund called Fair by Design, and um, it was originally an idea... Uh, kind of created by the two main LPs of the fund, so Joseph Franchry Foundation and Big Society Capital. Um, they kind of wanted to find a way to use impact investing to, to kind of make a real dent into something in the UK, and they found that the poverty premium was something where you could really use um, scalable tech solutions to make a dent in it, so they, they created this fund idea and Ascension Ventures bid for it um, two years ago and won it, so that's when I joined. So what's your role at Fair by Design? So I am the investment manager for the fund. So basically, I kind of run anything that's to do with Fair by Design. So deployment of capital, uh, at the beginning of it, um, we needed to do a bit of fundraising as well, so we took it from eight million to 10 to be deployed over the next uh, two and a half years now, because we've been going for a year and a half. Um, And, I mean, it's a kind of wide range of responsibilities, but Fair by Design is kind of, it's firstly a venture capital fund and then an impact fund. So, you know, the usual venture capital... Uh, kind of structure is that you're doing your deal flow first you're you're spending a lot of time finding um startups to fit the fan thesis um, and you have to manage anything to do with the kind of due diligence process. you have to sell it internally, you have to bring it to i c um, and then there's the whole kind of operational aspect as well, which we cover. I mean, I have to say that as a small VC we are quite lean in our structure so that won't always be the case with all all VCs you will have kind of separation of roles but i kind of um yeah probably do 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 all of that um with help from from my associate luke um but yeah so so the operations the deal flow the portfolio management aspect as well we will sometimes um take board seats when we think it's practical and necessary we kind of Take a, a quite a practical view on it because we just you know, we we can't always be on there. If there's a lead investor already, we'll let them you know ha- have the board seat and just keep board observership. But when when we do take a board seat, we have quite an active portfolio management role in this, um, and that you know involves quite a lot of connections. Um, you know, always they're always fundraising, so always making sure they're they're plugged in the the right ecosystem for them to bring them to Series A successfully. Um, so yeah there's that's the whole kind of um, I suppose traditional VC side of it but because it's an impact fund it's got a whole other set of governance and obligations attached to it so um, there's a uh, an impact report we have to produce uh, regularly so twice a year so that means we have to collect KPIs social KPIs from the startups what is a social KPI so imagine, uh, well, one of our one of our startups, for example, um, is uh, Incuto. They're a they're a SaaS platform for credit unions, basically, um, and you know, one of the it's it's quite difficult to measure their impact because they're a B two B model, and they 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 are making it easier for credit unions to compete with the payday loan market, basically. So, from a poverty premium perspective, it's I suppose improving the infrastructure um, for uh, low-income households and improving access to credit. So I guess the social KPI would be to measure as precisely as possible the the impact of inkuto service on on the end user's access to to financial services. And one way we're trying to do it is, you know, uh, to measure. How many loans Inkuto's system has given out, and trying and estimate, you know, how many of those would have actually gone to the payday loan market had they not used it. It's very difficult to do, um, and we try to get as close as possible to this. So, it will be reporting on kind of basic measures of numbers, end user, you know, number of end users on the platform, but it's also trying to essentially measure the attribution of the Inkuto service on the end user um which is quite complex sometimes but that's that's a kind of well-known challenge for the whole impact investing industry um so yeah that's that's one part of it and then um there's there's a whole load of kind of accountability that we have at a fund level to our our investors um on the impact front so we have to create an impact report that It measures the progress that we're doing uh, in terms of reducing the poverty premium. So challenging, but, you know, it it is I suppose it's a usual impact framework in that sense.
0: I think that that's really interesting in the social vein in VC is definitely growing at the moment. Um, I just wondered, like, how much was that social side a factor in you sort of deciding that you wanted to work for the Fair Design Fund? It was a big factor. (laughs) Um,
2: So I guess my my background is in. uh, I mean, the the majority of my professional career has been spent in banking. So I spent five years at Santander. Kind of realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, the usual kind of mid twenties life crisis of, what am I doing? so I started to research the industry a little bit and I thought how can I use my skills in finance to kind of you know make a bit of a more of a social impact. Uh and impact investing was the kind of it w- it was still really niche at the time, but it was emerging. So I, I researched it a lot. Um and I kind of took a break, went traveling for a bit, and then I started working on the charity side of of impact, which was working for a consultancy helping charities become more sustainable um, and I got really frustrated by it because they were moving that world moves really slowly um, you know very well full of very well intentioned very skilled um, people but just a very slow industry and I just thought you know I'm a- I'm actually enjoying working with the social the smaller social enterprises um, and those entrepreneurs that are a little bit more dynamic a little bit more kind of you know, committed to just scaling their business rather than just be a kind of grand-funded model. Um, and I, I I, started to research impact VCs, and um, that's how I came across Ascension bidding for, for Fair by Design. So it was really kind of precisely why I I was interested in, in Ascension. I kind of saw they were... They had quite a lot of tech-for-good um, portfolio companies, uh, and it was you know, a little bit serendipitous because when I met them, they were just bidding for it. And I thought,
1: well, that's that's great. <laughs> Do you think that's one of the reasons why they won the bid was because they already had sort of some tech for good businesses in their portfolio? What what gave Ascension the edge over other companies bidding to, to have that? Is, is that right in that they there was sort of a pot of money and then they were bidding and who's going to be responsible for yeah. distributing
2: this capital? great question. It's Really, because Ascension's really good at forming b- relevant partnerships. So they they kind of they did the bid, but not on their own. Um, you know, one one main actor of the bid also was Weira, which is we're, we're an, an investor in residence at Weira. You know, Weira is was just starting uh, an accelerator in Oldham. Um, so we did a, a you know as part of the bid, there was a Fair by Design accelerator um, set up in Oldham.
0: Which is where Lewis grew up. <laughs> Emma's looking me in the eye every time she says Oldham because I'm from there. <laughs>
2: um, so I guess that was one one big part of it. And then um, our FCA umbrella is Finance Birmingham, and they they were also part of the bid. They they have a big regional presence, uh, and they've been working with Ascension for years now. So yeah, you know, it was kind of this tripartite bid that I think was. that you know people could see that you could actually try and have a regional impact with the fund you know make sure diversity was was kind of included in it and you know they they ascension has a, a quite a good track record in forming networks and um you know having quite an extensive mentor ecosystem around them so i think that's kind of what did it really in the end um, it wasn't going to be just another London-focused VC.
0: Mm. I think it's really interesting that you describe your kind of r- entry into the role you have at the moment as serendipitous, because basically everyone that you speak to in VC <laughs> has a similar kind of story, you know, that it was it was the right place, the right time. Um, and I, I just wondered, like do you think that it really was the right place in the right time and could you kind of imagine yourself somewhere else or do you believe in serendipity? I, mean, I say it's serendipity but I do, I do really believe that
2: in this world you have to build your network and you have to nurture your network and you have to be quite bold. I mean you know it's partly serendipitous but also partly I, I was researching for a very long time you know who big society capital, who the main LP for the fund is, Who which funds they were invested in, um, who they were working with. I was kind of, you know, Googling which funds had tech for good um, investments in their portfolio, who was playing in the seed investment world. And I kind of looked up, you know, you have to be a little bit bold about this. I looked up. Who were the people in charge of these funds on LinkedIn, and just message you know message people I I met with Mustard Seed. I had you know lots of conversations with Ascension. Like you know it it that's how I kind of ended up getting the role. It was right place, right time. But I you know I, I you kind it, of put yourself in yeah. the right place, the right time. Yeah, side. yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you. Um, yes. So I think. You know, if I had any advice for for someone who's trying to get into the space is just be bold about building your network. Um, also, a little bit of a trick, I think, is to research who has just raised a fund. Because if if you just subscribe to the, you know, to TechCrunch or other kind of tech journals, any time, you know, someone's announced a successful fundraise, the likelihood is that they're in kind of you know, full hiring mode, and that's when you need to kind of, you know, get in there as soon as possible, um, and you know, make yourself useful. Research the portfolio, kind of s- potential if they're if if they're going to be fundraising for something. You know, research um, what the LPS are looking for, etc. So it's kind of adding value um, and trying to guess when the budgets are going to become available because between fundraising not a lot of budget is available for hiring in vc and that's part of the problem Mm -hmm. i
0: think yeah i think that's particularly good advice for people who maybe aren't in the investment world already so how can you start to prove your value if you don't have tons of relevant experience already yeah agree awesome
1: and i i actually want to pick on a point that you made which is you know your your point of doing the research is helpful tip i didn't realize that you have to do an impact report because I've never worked on in sort of the impact VC side. Um, you know, in terms of the brief that you have to go after, I, I remember you telling me that it was, it's quite niche. Super niche. And that's perhaps something that you you need to know when going into is, is this something that actually you're passionate about? Could you tell us a bit more about um, Fairby Design's niche brief? <laughs> Love it.
2: It's very niche. Um, so... I guess the bible the, the the kind of facts behind it is uh, coming from Bristol University research uh, they've done it a couple of years ago, and they found that um so twenty percent of um, households in the u k are considered as low income and I think that's defined as sub sixteen k per year, but don't quote me on that i th- I think that's the statistics but um they found that these households tend to pay more for for goods and services across the board just just because they're low income. and that operates across sectors. So energy is one big one where you know, for example, you'll pay a lot more uh, if you're on a prepayment meter than if you're on direct debit, and there's absolutely no sense for it. Um, in the fintech world, it's anything to do with with the payday loan market. Um, you know predatory lending but also people with thin files so not enough data to actually be able to access affordable credit Um, in the insure tech world it's to do with again lack you know lack of accurate data uh, legacy systems which make prices really non-transparent etc so so um, insurance is not trusted uh, sometimes overused or or you know people don't don't insure themselves at all um and depending on where you live if you uh, if you live in a relatively you know if in an area where p- for example there's a lot of crime your insurance will be a lot more expensive um transport is a big one actually and i've i've found out more about it recently outside of london you know, some people have to take taxis every day to get to work because um, there's no no relevant bus routes and food as well. You know, if you don't have a car, you you have to shop around in, in your corner store, which is 20 percent more expensive. So you add all of these pre- premiums together and you end up being completely disadvantaged. So so the, the thesis of the fund is to invest in 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 kind of B2B solutions or b 2 b to c or B2C solutions that evidence a a impact on the end user's cost base effectively so you know sometimes it's a direct impact and sometimes there will be more of a kind of systems change impact so for example one of our recent investment was uh, credit kudos and they're are an alternative credit bureau that uses open banking data to calculate a, a, a forward-looking credit score um and you know that that impact is is a little bit more indirect, but that means that you can use better and more accurate data for people who have thin files, and that will eventually lead to more access to credit, better access to credit. So that's
0: the idea. If you have any any startup that fit this thesis, please contact me. So you were talking about measuring the impact of the companies that you invest in and how, for the most part, you look for companies where there is a kind of measurable impact on on cost saving for those families. But you also invest in companies that are, I guess, like... Uh, maybe infrastructure plays or more capabilities that can support that so how much of your role is facilitating partnerships and kind of commercial agreements for your portfolio companies
2: yeah that's a really good question because it's actually a lot bigger it's a lot bigger part of the role than i uh, originally expected as a lot of the uh, routes to market for the for the startups as you said is kind of infra- it's infrastructure play so you'll you'll have the councils purchasing the services you'll have Housing associations uh, credit unions, and it, it just makes it quite you know, it puts us at the, at the in the middle of that ecosystem and I think a part part of the role is to really build those relationships up first directly with those stakeholders and then kind of build a an enabling i suppose a connection center for for the startups and what's interesting is that some some of the startups that we meet self-qualify as social entrepreneurs they say we are a startup that's for profit with with purpose and you know it's they're already quite mission-led but sometimes they come to us and they're not really you know purposefully doing you know a poverty premium free business but they are you know we meet them and we say yeah actually you are you are making um you know really relevant impact in xyz and sometimes we'll say actually you know what about de- what about defining your your kind of social mission in this sense and exploring a different route to market that you, you would have normally explored? Um, and we've done that recently with one we're working with at the moment, um, where you know the app was originally potentially more kind of aimed at millennials, um, but they're ex- they're now exploring selling the the services via housing associations so that you know social housing tenants become. Uh, an obvious end user, so it's kind of it's an interesting role that we play around enabling, being a you know quite an active business development enabler for the startups, but also trying to kind of shift their focus a little bit for the ones that are kind of really commercial or you know B two C aiming at everyone um, in the country, kind of shifting them a little bit to to thinking about low income households and how how they can reach them. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, in that sense, I guess it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, because definitely supporting portfolio companies is a big part of all of our jobs. But I think it takes on a slightly different dimension when you have such clear measurables. Yeah, yeah definitely.
2: But it's also the usual thing of, you know, getting getting your startups to series A as quickly as possible, <laughs> which everyone is. Everyone at C level, I suppose, is
1: focused on that. Um, Um, Yeah. And from my own experience, actually, I found that a lot of corporates um, are thinking about the poverty premium and how they can make an impact in making their lives better. And one of my favorite companies is WageStream. But Emma, you could probably describe what they do much better than I can.
2: Um, So WageStream is a way of streaming your salary as you go so you can um if you're a shift worker you can draw on your earned wages per rata basically so y- you can draw on say you've you've worked a pre shift for two weeks you can draw on um i think 80 up to 80 percent of two weeks worth of shifts for a flat fee of one pound 75 so very cheap and allows for cash flow smoothing basically which is which is what you know Vulnerable households and gig economy workers tend to suffer a lot from the lack of access to cash flow. Um, and they actually, interestingly enough, sorry, I'm like really, int- really it's passionate about that. Company. But they, yeah, they 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 found that most of the drawings and most um, most of the drawings from 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 people come a week before payday, which means that actually this it, it kind of proves that they don't necessarily need expensive payday loans uh middle of the month they they just need that little bit of you know money that extra 100 quid to get them get them to the end of the month and that's kind of i think real proof of the need for it and the more you know the more the gig economy becomes quite a prevalent part of the country's workforce i think the more you need those tools
1: and i think they're at series a aren't they
2: they just raised a series a yeah did yeah. they raise they've raised 15 million from uh, boulderton and north zone uh, they did it together and they raised quite a big faci- uh, debt facility uh, from Shawbrook Bank on the back of that, so I think in total they raised fifty one million. They say yeah, they raised fifty one million, but it's a lot of his debt.
1: That is so cool. And you kind of found them as they were just sort of starting out. Is that right? I think yes. that's that's yep. exciting of being an early stage investor. Is it? I mean, uh, it's Peter, isn't it? The founder. Peter, yes. Um, he came to you with. More or less an idea. Yeah, and
2: to be fair, there was, you know, I don't want to take all the credit because the lead investor um QED at the time were the ones that, that were kind of really excited about the idea and it was still an idea and we got on board. But I think the fact, you know, the fact that they had QED behind them was a major comfort for us. Um and we just loved the vision. We just thought, yeah, this is this is bang on what we're trying to do. And it's one of those rare business models that i'm desperately trying to find which is where you know the impact is completely parallel to the to the commercial scaling and
1: and what other ways do you find these sort of needles in the haystack
2: um just a bit of a mix really so you know there's probably relatively speaking fewer inbounds than um, a, a traditional VC fund that's not necessarily thesis focused. So we have, we have to do a bit more digging, I think than the average VC. Um, but yeah, I mean there's quite as you as you grow in reputation, there's more and more inbounds so that's that's good. but otherwise we go to relevant events. So we kind' of just straddle two ecosystems. you know one is the traditional seed VC ecosystem, uh, the energy, uh, technology ecosystem, as well, actually the fintech e- ecosystem, and also the impact, the social impact uh, world. So I guess attending all relevant events in in those in those worlds is where we find deal flow. And then as you go, we have quite a lot of r- referrals from IC members or mentors or other other portfolio companies. Actually. And and
1: what would be your favorite event that you would encourage startups to go to? find you or Im- relevant investors have you been to one recently obviously your events are great <laughs> as well ascension does a lot of them thank you um thank you. but but what other ones have you been to um, recently i'm trying to think i think um
2: the the blooming founders event i think is really good i know it's it's a kind of female founder focused event but i th- i thought it was quite well organized it was done i mean you guys attended as well and yeah it it was, it was done in round tables which meant that you could actually have a conversation with at least a few of them on the table and it wasn't too kind of pitch like you know you, you had an actual conversation and you could get a feel for people I thought it was quite well organized yeah I
0: completely agree I thought it was nice because you could give advice to founders without them pitching yeah. at you because they weren't necessarily um founders of companies that were completely relevant to your fund. In fact, for the most part, yeah. they weren't. So you yeah. could be really honest and candid with feedback and they could ask questions that I think were perhaps a bit more vulnerable. Yeah. And they might not have felt comfortable asking VCs in a normal setting. Yeah,
2: that's right. And I think, you know, we had to explain uh, you know, our fund as well. So there was a bit of, you know, pitching coming from us too. So I, I thought that was a great event. I mean, you know, there's some good ones in each relevant sector i think uh, there's certain accelerators that do quite good um, demo days obviously there's you know the the, the usual entrepreneurs first tech stars um, but you know everyone kind of well, maybe not our audience but the, the you know the usual the usual um, accelerators i suppose have a lot of good networking opportunities for startups i think uh, in the social impact world, digital agenda is quite a good um, platform to be connected with they're a, they're kind of online journal, but they they do a lot of tech for good connections they have a lot of events as well so they're they're pretty good um, yeah, a good social impact accelerator as well is zinc zinc vc um, they they have themed focus focused uh, accelerators that they do I think every six months. Um, and the latest one, for example, is all about um, elderly elderly tech um and the one before was about globalization so I think if you're if you're interested in either being part of it or or being connected to it they're they're quite like they're quite a big community I think they're linked to local globe um so they're they're quite good for the for the kind of tech for good space but then you know fintech wise I'm trying to think um what's relevant lois. <laughs> There's the Nationwide Open Banking for Good accelerator.
0: (laughs) Yeah, really good accelerator program. Give that a look. Um,
2: Geovation is quite a good one for transport and
1: energy businesses. Um, Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Emma. That was absolute gold dust.
0: No worries. So given that this podcast is all about broadening accessibility to venture capital, are you hiring at the moment?
1: We are not, sadly. I'm actually going to stop the podcast right there, because very excitingly, after recording this session, Emma and her team have decided to hire an associate for Fair by Design. So if you want to find a little bit more about the role, check out the Ascension Ventures website and apply there as soon as you can. But first, keep listening to this podcast, especially if you're looking for a role. Trust me, it's an absolute must. So now, back to
0: Lois. That's a shame. But if you were to be hiring, what would you be looking for?
2: I think that because Ascension is still a relatively small company, I mean, we're a startup, effectively, in terms of full-time people, I think think we're seven full-time people. And then, you know, there's a whole host of venture partners, mentors, people like the network linked to us. But in terms of actual kind of core team, um, we're quite small, so we need someone who will be able to be very agile, but in all sense of the words, so I think you need to kind of accept that you have nowhere to hide. you know it's okay to make mistakes, but I think trust is a uh, being able to trust someone and therefore being quite emotionally intelligent is quite an important aspect of the role. N- I'm not entirely sure how you go about trying to find out whether someone is emotionally intelligent or not i'm pretty sure there's there's tests online but i'm i'm trying to it's quite intuitive i'm i would try and look for that kind of person that's able to you know be mindful of the thousand of stakeholders that we have to face especially for fair by design it's you know there's a lot of audiences you have to be able to judge certain things modulate your tone in a quite a natural way so even if you don't have you know, specific financial background or sp- any specific ba- uh, startup background. I would actually look for your ability to adapt and your ability to pick things up quickly. Obviously, a passion for impact investing. Um, but I, I think you know, being a numer- numerate is isn't ne- doesn't necessarily come from a degree or comes from a career in banking you know you have you have to think through things logically this is this is not a private equity world where you know you're you're measuring a company's performance based on a thousand metrics like this is a different kind of role and world where you know the human element and your your ability to kind of control your biases is also as important i think so yeah that's a little bit complica- convoluted way of saying it, but that's kind of what I'd be looking for, if that makes sense.
0: No, I think that's a really good point that actually a lot of the skills that we need in our jobs are transferable skills. It's not necessarily what you might assume, which is a background in maybe consulting or finance or something that would give you a really clear understanding of business models and how they translate to revenue because actually particularly for the kind of investing that we do which is early stage a lot of it is around um perhaps to some degree intuition and then yeah, logic agreeing. common sense and i suppose an ability to kind of pick the main
2: the main blocks of thoughts that will help you make a decision about something is 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 i think the essential skill
0: i think also um you mentioned kind of trust and To an extent, I think that's one of the most important things within a team, especially one that's as small as yours, like it's really important to be able to challenge each other. You also mentioned check your biases and actually it needs this kind of honesty that you are open to being challenged and also feel comfortable enough to challenge others on those kind of things. So it's it's not as
2: I suppose closed off as you you may think it is but it does it does require you to probably think outside the box a little bit when you're when you're contacting um companies like ours because we I suppose we meet so many Startups that we start to think, you know, we we think about hiring as a as a different kind of, uh, you know, almost like a different pitch, right? So, it's uh, how how are you gonna how are you gonna pitch that you're gonna be a, a growing impactful part of the company? I guess.
1: Brilliant, thank you. Two more questions for you, Emma. The first one is is a bit of an interesting one that we, we Lois uh, Petra and I came up with, which is what tip would you give? Or would you want to share with others in your industry for optimizing their job performance? Great question. Um, and I ask
2: myself every day. <laughs> um, but I, I actually think something I need to get better at, and probably a lot, a lot of other of my colleagues in, in other VCs, is, is to learn to say no more effectively. And uh, I suppose, you know, insert more honest feedback in, in the, in the communication that you have with startups, because I think too often, um, either we don't, you know, either we don't give any feedback or we find saying no too difficult. We kind of, you know, kick the can down and, you know, really, we, we know that we're probably not going to be interested down the line, but we kind of say, Oh, you know, come back when you're raising again, or, I think sometimes we need to be a bit more honest because it's more it's it's more effective for inbox management, generally, which is uh, a nightmare for everyone in the industry, and it's it's a lot more impactful and useful for for founders to be able to actually get honest feedback from the from the VCs they talk to. Um, And that's a difficult thing. And it's a little bit of a more kind of courageous thing to do, especially when it comes to kind of criticizing team dynamics, for example, or saying, you know, you're not sure that the relationship with the founder is quite right. Or, you know, sometimes it's more sensitive things that you don't really want to say. But I think we need to get better at doing it. And that would make our job more impactful and more efficient.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a really good point. I think it is generally a waste of time for both parties if you're not fully committed and to your point of how much effort you put into those you do you know you want to make sure you dedicate that time to the people that you you really want to push forward and make sure that the people that you don't find the right investor to partner with and that's going to do that for exactly
2: them. and i think knowing you know how, having a good knowledge of of, of the vc landscape uh, is 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 quite useful in those cases because you can you know more often than not you can actually give them the uh, the idea of at least one or two other vcs that
1: may be interested or angel networks if they're too early yeah and sometimes investment isn't always the the best route to go as well and i think being honest and making sure that founders are aware of the other options that they can pick is an important one it's not for everyone yeah exactly vc although we like to think so, so. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: do. You do. Um, you do.
1: Um, Fab. And then the second question is, um, and part of the thing that we're doing at Associated, which we're super excited about, is getting people in our network, which hopefully um, will grow as the podcast does, um, to put in questions. Um, And I got actually a really fab one from Andre Lewis. So big shout out to Andre. And he asks, Emma, how important is the potential impact and current progress weighted against current commercial performance? I ask in the sense of a social venture, which is bootstrapping and making small impact with the possibilities of scaling big, but not having the financial resources. Andre, great question.
2: Um, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier in the sense that as as best as I can, I look for deal flow where the business model inherently scales the impact as they scale. So, take WageStream, for example, the, 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 inherent, the business model I- essentially scales the impact of, of um, the social impact uh, of, of their service as they reach. More employers and 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 you know s- scale the service to more users, um, and you can quantify uh, how many users. You know, it's very simple. As a, the more users use the service, the more um, users don't have to access the payday loan market, and it's quite a direct measurable impact. Um, when it becomes a little bit more complicated is when is when a service might be a startup might be working on a on a service that that's just providing a cheaper pricing for example um to a lower income community in that situation the KP, the, the the i suppose the scaling of the service isn't necessarily parallel to to kind of scaling the 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 social impact and i'm not you know i i will i will take um cases one by one and just look at i'll, I'll measure the extent of the impact uh on the population I think about um you know on the one side just how many people might be affected uh by the service how many lives might might be improved by it um but also there's the consideration of the depth of uh, to what extent it will help them so if if um, if you take energy, for example, it is a big driver of the poverty premium. So, you know, if there's an energy innovation which might be operating in a smaller market, um, and actually we've just, you know, recently invested in a, a software hardware innovation that um, makes the, uh, the 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 heat networks. Operated by certain housing associations, more efficient and delivers kind of structurally um, cheaper prices for for heating costs to tenants. You know, as an example, that arguably is a, is a smaller market. We are we are the lead investor in this round is going to take them um, to Europe. So you know, th- th- there's that side, but but just scaling into the UK HA market arguably was was. Fairly small, and and heat networks is small, but the energy premium is very, very is a big portion of the poverty premium. So we thought, you know, actually taking into account, you you just have to look at the likelihood of them being able to scale in in um, international markets. Which I thought, okay, they've got this this lead investor on board that's going to really help them. Um, Set Ventures uh, is quite well known in that in the kind of um, in, you know the heat network area, and they've they've done investments like that in the past. Versus um, you know the the extent of the impact that they're delivering versus the risk of investing in a in a hardware company, you just have to kind of wait out all of these um, you know s- positive and negative signals. And in this case, we thought you know there's enough case. Uh, there's enough commercial case to to be able to to invest um in in this high impact company but if if you are if i'm meeting a startup where the in- impact on the poverty premium is probably marginal it may be a highly impactful b- business but it might be a marginal impact on the premium and the the scaling strategy is a little bit dodgy or you know, they're a little bit slower in their growth forecast or, you know, they're not evidencing a validation of their commercial proposition, then we won't, we will have to look at it like a traditional VC would look at it. Um, so it's not a black and white response and it's not an easy response. Um, but it, it, I guess it's a good thing that our, our fund has a really specific thesis because we, that helps us measure how much we need to kind of care about a business plan or not if if the thesis is really targeted by the business model we will try and help
1: yeah that's a great answer and congratulations Andre because you'll be going with coffee or having a call with Emma so thank you very much Emma for for doing that for Andre look forward to it um fab so um how can people get in contact with you Emma um, they can um,
2: email the the Dealflow um, team email address, which is um, dealflow at ascensionventures.com.
0: Thanks so much for being our first guest, Emma. It's been so nice to chat to you tonight.
1: Thanks, Emma. It's been awesome
0: and coming up in the rest of the series we're going to have investors from funds like augmentum backstage and mmc do go and follow us on twitter as well we're at associated underscore pod and over there you can find a link to our website submit questions for guests and you can find out as soon as our new episodes drop
1: and please don't forget to subscribe